Just one sec, guys. Here's the espresso I made for you. Wow, Lee, so excited to try out your espresso. Who's that? What's up? What are you guys doing? I was just making a nice espresso. Would you like... No, Lee. You'll all have to try Death Wish coffee. Kurt, isn't that the world's strongest coffee? Fuck yes, it is. Oh, man. It tastes great. Just explosion of flavor in my mouth. When I try Death Wish coffee, it feels like Jesus Christ himself washing down my throat. But, Kurt, this is a lot of coffee. You must have spent a ton of money on it. And not just American dollars, but Canadian money. Fuck, no, I didn't. I used coupon code 3 Greeners and I got 10% off. You can too! <gasps> In a world of lame, nerdy podcasts, one, no three, and maybe sometimes more nerds, will rise to the challenge. We hold these studios accountable. We celebrate the amazing feats of cinema. We sometimes rage out. We are the Three Angry Nerds Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Angry Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis. With me, as always, is Katie. How's it going, Katie? Tired, but good. <laughs> well, that makes two of us. <laughs> and then we were down to two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, both uh, Lee, Spark, and Adam decided to uh, take up the drug trade. And I don't know. I'm like, guys, it's not the right way to go about you know setting up a business but you know they're just so they're already so hardened uh by the ways of the of the crime world so you know there's no there's no you know bringing them back down from from that now so uh no it's kidding uh i don't know the sparks in nashville uh lee is still moving and adam's at some conference so anyways it's it's just two of us and cue that song just the two of us except we're just podcasting we're just bringing <laughs> you the news that matters um but yeah uh how's your week been katie it's been it's been fine class has been okay <laughs> yeah boring but okay nice yeah. Yeah. Uh, VIF started this week and it's been craziness for me. Um, in fact, actually, we've got two interviews. I interviewed uh, two different directors or uh, producers for uh, movies of VIF and then going to see the actual movies. And um, what's funny is, like, they. They oftentimes will have the movies back to back, but like in order to get into the movie, you have to um, get up, get out, and then they have to, uh, you have to get back in line, and then you have to get back into the movie. So, uh, what's interesting is that uh, when I go and like, movie's done. The moment it hits the credits, people start like clapping and cheering for the movie, and I'm like already out. I'm like I'm done. I'm I gotta get back in line for the next movie. So, it's been it's been craziness, but uh, I'll definitely review a lot of the movies that I've seen because there's 
actually some really good ones this year. It's actually probably one of the strongest lineups Fifth has had in a long time, so we'll talk about that. Uh, but before we do, let's talk about the news that matters. Uh, Armor Wars, which is the Don Cheadle uh, Marvel project, which was originally going to be a TV series. Uh, it's now being developed as a movie. So, for whatever reason, Marvel was like, this does not need to be a show. It needs to be a movie instead. So, okay, Marvel. Um, Don Cheadle, still on board. For those who had doubts that maybe he was coming back, they made sure to really, like, prominently say, Don Cheadle's coming back. It's like, okay, I assumed he would for Armor Wars, but... Yeah. What do you think, Katie? You, you think it should be a movie or you think it should be a show? Do you really think it matters? I don't really think about it. Yeah. Fair. Um, yeah. So, it's... Uh, I think as a movie, like, sure, it's going to be more cinematic and I think probably more concise of a story. I think with those... Disney Marvel shows they kind of just tend to like wander around story wise and they're not really as concise storytelling wise as they would be if they were a movie so personally I feel like as a movie they're probably going to be a bit more concise a bit more uh, directed as a as a, like an effort so yeah I, I think it's probably for the best but we'll see uh Blade director Bassam Tariq has exited the project. Uh, he just, yeah, Marvel and him both cite schedule conflicts. Um, you know, obviously people are like, is that really why are they just not getting along? But <laughs> no, it's like I guess I'll take him at the word that it's just a scheduling thing. But yeah, uh, apparently too, the script is getting a uh, a new. A new uh, rewrite so I don't know it's hard to tell if uh, this is indeed the case where yeah maybe the guy just couldn't find the time for it or if it's something else I have a feeling like because there's a new writer it's more than just a schedule conflict because I mean if they were going to take that script and be like okay the script works as this they were just run with it but now they're having someone come in and do a script right so something tells me that yeah there's there's it's more than just schedule conflicts there's probably some kind of like creative differences there what do you think i think there's bound to be like conflicts when someone new joins the team mm -hmm. so like maybe that's why but also What's done is done. Now they're, like, not a part of it, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, we'll see. I, uh, I'm still unsure about Blade, because that's a project that I'm curious about, but also I, I feel like I'm still not fully excited for it yet i need to see a bit more before i get excited all right uh deadpool 3 still 
coming along. Uh, this will be the first Deadpool movie set in the MCU. And uh, Ryan Reynolds put out the movie's first teaser. And dun-dun-dun, uh, big surprise. It uh, features the return of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. So... This is kind of weird and wild for a number of reasons. The first of which being that, uh, I mean, Hugh Jackman played um, Wolverine in the Fox X-Men movies, but now obviously Disney owns it. So many people assume they would just recast Wolverine. So now people are like, okay, is Hugh Jackman going to be playing Wolverine in the MCU? Is there going to be a new actor? Like, how's that going to work out? So it's, uh, yeah. And that, of course, is the plot to, you know, what is the plot of Deadpool 3 going to be? How is it going to feature Wolverine? Um, but at the very least, they ha uh, Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman have good uh, chemistry and uh, retort so i think uh at the very least like they're gonna have a fun time together on on screen regardless of what the plot is um but katie what do you think are you excited for deadpool 3 now they're gonna have a blast just they're best friends they're gonna just like do whatever they want and they're gonna just have the most fun and i think I I follow um, Ryan Reynolds on LinkedIn. That's one of my joys in life. And, like, when scrolling through a bunch of, like, corporate posts, when you see a post by Ryan Reynolds, it, like, it makes the entire experience so much better. I'm just, just like, I'm I actually you check LinkedIn. I'm like, I never check LinkedIn. I'm, I'm just like... <laughs> I saw the the teaser he put out on LinkedIn and it was like, oh my god, I love following celebrities on LinkedIn. I say that, but I only follow Ryan Reynolds. Anyway, um maybe I should be on yeah, I think... LinkedIn for the for the following of the celebrities a bit more. <laughs> I think I, I don't know if any other celebrities have their LinkedIn profiles like so public. Like, where's Jennifer Lopez's LinkedIn? You know, is she updated regularly? <laughs> She's like, guess what, guys? I'm still Jenny from the block. I think it's just because um, Ryan Reynolds like has multiple businesses as well. And so, like, when their businesses post some marketing stuff, he can repost it, and it'll, like, instantly reach a lot more people. Mm. But, like, I don't know what Jennifer <laughs> Lopez would do in this case. She would just, she just put a post every day that just says, I'm still Jenny for the block. That would be it. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, Deadpool 3, let, like, let them have a blast. Um, some people have already said that it looks like he might be in a different outfit because in the teaser, he's wearing a black outfit. And 
famously Wolverine and uh, Deadpool, they were in a team called X-Force, uh, which was uh, a team that they kind of both uh, were in. And in that, they both had kind of like black with a little bit of gray and red outfits. So some people were saying that if you look at what Ryan Reynolds is wearing, it kind of looks a little bit like it might be an X-Force outfit for Deadpool. So, you know, maybe a story hint, but also that would make sense because in that Wolverine and uh, Deadpool are on the same team. So I feel like that wouldn't be too much of a shock that we see, but... I also don't know if I'm, like, making this up, but in, like, previous teasers and stuff, don't they have, like, they have, like, Easter eggs in them, right? For yeah. Deadpool. 100%, yeah. Didn't they have, like, like in previous movies, um, something with Hugh Jackman or, like, Wolverine in them? Because oh, the I remember seeing them, but I don't know if I'm, like, making this up. You're asking if uh, you if they've ever had Hugh Jackman in the Deadpool movies? Yeah, like in the mm. teasers. I don't think so. No, I think like they they kind of play off of their witty banter, but I don't think they've ever like they've never really gone full like they haven't fully committed to having him on, but. Yeah, this is the first time where we're really getting something like that. Aside from the awful X-Men Origins Wolverine, a movie that I'm sure most people would love to forget about. <laughs> so. Um, okay, what else? We've got... Uh, oh, uh, in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever... Uh, star Tanash Huerta, who, uh, as we know, is playing um, Namor. Uh, in the comics, he's a mutant, and uh, he's already come out and kind of spoiled, I guess, a little bit, uh, saying that Namor's also going to be a mutant in this. So, we're slowly getting mutants in the MCU. Very slowly, but surely. Um, yeah. Uh, I think some people will say, oh, yeah, like, this is Marvel slowly building towards towards having that. And I'm like, yep. I'm all for that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, ooh. Thunderbolts. So, Marvel, this is a rumor, so we don't know if this is for real, but... Marvel may be looking to recast General Ross, who uh, we last saw was played by, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he recently passed away. Um, so let me see who it was. William Hurt, that's who, who the actor was. Um, so yeah, some people are saying that they're going to recast... Uh, Thunderbolt Ross, and uh, I I guess in my mind I was like this that seems a little iffy because wouldn't it make more sense to just like 
kind of like what they're doing with Black Panther, just be like, oh, he died in the movies as well, like just his character died as well, maybe. Like that, you think that would make more sense than recasting, but what do I know? Um, yeah. What do you think, Katie? Do you think they should recast, or should they just move on? I don't know enough about Thunderbolts to make a comment. Fair. Um, but yeah. This, uh, this will be interesting, for sure. Um, this isn't also the first time they've recasted him, because... Uh, in the Hulk movie that came out in like the er, 2000s, the early 2000s, that was played by someone else. Uh, I think it's Sam Elliott. And then they recast him. And then he's been William Hurt for a number of years until he unfortunately passed away. So, But uh, they do say apparently Harrison Ford is a possible contender, which I'm like, I don't believe that. I'm sorry. That's That seems like a loaded rock of bullshit because I can't see Harrison Ford who's like nearly retiring himself coming into uh, work on major Marvel movies but alright uh, speaking of Star Wars actors James Earl Jones uh, steps back from uh, his role as Darth Vader and uh, He's getting up there in years and, uh, you know, decided to uh, kind of retire from the role. He's played, he was the voice of Darth Vader uh, most recently in the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, series. So he's been doing it quite often and uh, obviously for most people he's the voice of Darth Vader. Um, but yeah, he's uh, 91 years old. So, you know, I guess it's, I guess it's a, you know, not, you know, if you're going to retire from voice acting, you know, 91, at least he, he had a good run for it. But, uh, of course, a lot of people will now wonder, oh, you know, what does that mean for, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess, the, the voice of Darth Vader and, uh, you know, maybe uh, Disney is like, gotten a contingency plan like maybe they've recorded some lines or something just in case but uh yeah so um yeah okay uh and the final bit of news uh community the long-running uh sitcom from dan Harmon is getting a peacock movie uh which Famously, the show uh, had a line where they said six seasons in a movie. And uh, they they brought that to fruition. Six seasons in a movie. So, they're going to bring back most of the cast. I'm sure Chevy Chase is not coming back because Chevy Chase is not very well liked on that show. Um, but, uh, yeah. Did you ever watch Community, Katie? Uh, no. It's a good show. Very funny. I should watch it then. Yeah. See, I would watch this movie except for it's on Peacock. And I don't subscribe to Peacock. So I'm like, can you put on something I actually watch things on, please? Thank you. <laughs> okay. 
let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and uh, review some stuff. Hey everybody, it's Curtis from the podcast letting you know that we're brought to you by Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime's got amazing content such as The Boys, The Expanse, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Goliath, and so much more. Don't have to take our word for it. Go try out a 30-day trial of the service. See if you like it. If you'll want to stick around, they've got low introductory rates for new users who sign up, and you're going to get a ton of other Amazon Prime benefits, so sign up today and check it out. Thank you for your time. All right, we're back. This might be one of the longest review segments we've ever done on this show. Uh, but it's also the Vancouver International Film Festival, which is awesome. Uh, I always love when the, the festival's in town. Cause it's, just, it's a great way to watch some interesting movies that uh, most people, including myself, oftentimes wouldn't uh, think to go see. So... Um, yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to, uh, just kind of, uh, go over, uh, some stuff that's not Biff stuff, and then we're going to jump into the Biff stuff. Uh, first off is Smile, and Smile is a new horror movie from, uh, Paramount Pictures. And, uh, yeah, it's about a woman who's got these issues and, um, along kind of the way she sort of, uh, kind of starts to question her own reality, what's happening, what's really going on along the way when these people smile at her, that's impending doom. And I thought it was going to be very cheesy because there was a movie that came out a few years ago called Truth or Dare where uh, people would smile as a way to show that they were being possessed or whatever. Um, so I thought it was going to be very similar to that, but thank goodness it wasn't. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, it ended up being better in some ways than I thought, but also ended up being worse in some ways than I thought. Uh, the big kind of thing for me with this one was that it just honestly felt very, um, kind of forced at times, the, the, the kind of like the jump scares and stuff. And obviously jump scares are something that like a lot of movies will put in to like easily scare you, but it doesn't really last. Like you don't think of something like that in a long-term sense. Uh, and I think that was kind of the movie's main kind of downfall for me, at least, was that it just kind of felt like we were um, watching this, I don't know, like, very uh, simple in a way. And it was, like, scarce. And it didn't really, like, leave me with much of an impression outside of, like, a few scenes that were really kind of chilling. Um... There was like some pretty cool scenes near the end that were a little bit more horrifying. I was like, okay, now you're getting interesting. But of course, it uh, wasn't nearly as extensive as I would have thought. Um, also, too, like they don't show a lot in this movie. Like there are kills and people, you know, get killed by the smiling people. But uh, they don't show a lot of it. They show a lot of it in like uh, cutaway scenes. And this movie was rated R, but it just felt weird that they have an R-rated movie and not show some of the kills um so yeah i give this like a seven out of ten it's it's okay 
uh, I guess if you're really not big into horror movies, this is probably going to be fine for most people who don't want to see the the kills and the spooks on screen. Um, so yeah. Okay. Uh, and then next up we have Hocus Pocus Two, uh, which is the sequel to the original Hocus Pocus. It's out on Disney Plus. And uh, I mostly enjoyed this. This was very heartfelt and sentimental. Uh, in a way, it was very kind of... Uh, it was it was funny, and they brought back the cast from the original. But it felt a little bit more heartwarming and endearing uh, than I wasn't... I was, I was expecting. Uh, kind of on the... On the flip side of that, though, like... The, the story is very scattered and, like, sort of, it's all over the place. There's not as much of a direction to the story. Uh, and then they add a ton of new characters, but I think that takes away from the trio that kind of should be the highlight of the movie. Um, I, I think it was okay. It just could have used a little bit more direction, a little bit more focus. Um, yeah. It just kind of thought it could have been a little bit better, considering, you know, the cast and everything. Like, they brought back Sarah Jessica Parker and um, Bette Midler and Kathy Najime. And, yeah, it just kind of felt like they brought them back for just, eh. Like, it wasn't nearly as exciting as it could have been. So, um, yeah, I'll give it like a 7 out of 10. It's okay. Uh, I think if you're really into Hocus Pocus, you'll, you'll probably enjoy it. Uh, if you've never seen it, I don't know, watch the original. I think this probably isn't as strong as it could be. Okay. Uh, next up is Conversations with a Killer, Jeffrey Dahmer Tapes. Uh, Katie, you've watched that as well. Not the full thing, but you've seen parts of it. Uh... What has been your impression of the show so far? My problem... I actually have a lot of thoughts on these. Because on one hand, I really love watching like documentaries on serial killers and true crime and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the timeline in which this is going to be released is at the same time as the monster one with Evan Peters. Mm -hmm. um, and right now, it happens with it happened with Ted Bunny. It happened with Richard Ramirez. Um, people start to sort of glorify this sort of sick individual. Mm -hmm. um, they sort of start to idolize them, feel bad for them, and it's like, it's it's the way that these documentaries do keep bringing up the pain of these families for one um without asking them and um just like making people re cuz i know that during their trials, respectively, they all had a fan base. Like, people were in love with them. Um, 
And I think them bringing up their story again is bringing a resurgence of these types of people who are um, like in love with these people. They think they're really attractive or I've seen people who are like, oh my God, I wish like I could meet him. Like, no, you don't. He would have killed you. But, you know, it's like. Yeah, he was such a nice guy. Sorry? He was such a nice guy. Why would you want to hang out with him? <laughs> like, I've seen people be like, oh my god, I wish a night stalker would, like, crawl through my window. Like, no, you don't. No. You be no, dead. you don't. Do you do you know what you're talking about? Like, like are, are, are you thinking when you're, like, saying these things? Because I... It's like, these documentaries, on one hand, they... I like it done when it's, like, focusing on the victims and, like, mm. the impact that these terrible human beings have brought to their families and stuff like that. But no, it's, like, it's, like, shaping these, um, characters into, I guess, like, humans when they did inhumane things, um, and... I don't know, the the timing in which this is going to be released, like, as I mentioned, it's at the same time as the Evan Peters one, I think will worsen this type of problem, especially because um, people think Evan Peters is, like, an attractive person. It happened with um, Ted Bundy when Zac Efron played him. It's, like, a huge problem with the casting and like the way that they shape these stories so like on one hand it's like i that that's why mostly when i try to listen to true crime and stuff i go to podcasts instead of like shows because they in podcasts they just tell you the story this is what happened this is what happened but in like for example this one conversations with the killer they sort of because that lawyer um, builds a friendship with him. They build a trust, and it, it sort of, like, makes it seem like these people, like, should have a platform to tell their side of the story when that's really not the case. Like, I don't want to hear why they did what they did because they did that, and it's horrible, and there's no excuse for it. You can't make him seem human in my eyes because those are not human traits. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts. I went on a tangent, but those are my thoughts. Okay. Uh, my thoughts? Eh, it's pretty good. It's pretty okay. I haven't watched the Evan Peters uh, show, uh, for better or for worse. They, did, they didn't give it to us for... Uh, early review screening so i never I, i'm like I, i'm like i hate to say this but i'm like unless you're actually um you know unless you're actually uh sending it to me for a review probably I'm, there's a good chance i might not see it so um but yeah that was definitely the case with this i was i just i saw the uh the new one and i think too like the guy that's worked on that show too like Ryan Murphy, I think his name is. He's kind of a he's kind of known for I don't know, 
kind of put in like a really heavy queer slant on a lot of his shows and mm. i don't like i i don't mean that to totally be uh an insult or a diss or anything because it's not like sometimes the story take needs that but sometimes he puts that like that slant into stories that just don't need it and so i'm like i'm like i don't know i've I was kind of like, I don't know if the Dahmer sh uh, show is going to necessarily need that. Although I know he was, uh, he was part of the LGBTQ uh, community. So, uh, maybe. Another maybe. thing is, right, this series, the first one was Ted Bunny. The second one was John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. And it's like, these three people have enough coverage. Like, yeah. Yeah. We know their story. Like, we know what they did. Like, like it's done. Just let it go. We don't need to see more of these. I agree. <laughs> We're, I'm, done with, I'm done with Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer. Can we just, you like, know... Like, we'll... is the history of serial killers just these three people? Like, because there are more. And... I think it's because those are the most, like, popular, quote-unquote, serial killers... Like, and because they're the most popular, they don't need more coverage. Yeah. Because the media has already done numerous in iterations of their stories. I I do not disagree with you. I I think yeah we could be we're we're done with with Bundy and John Dahmer. We're done with them. They're yeah. they're in their graves. It's fine. Just forget them. The more you give attention to these people, the more like. I guess younger audiences will think, oh my god, this, like, if I do this, then I'll, like, bring me, like, my lifetime infamy. Like, I'll I'll keep being talked about. Like, no. No. That's what I think. It's done. Stop it's, doing those. We're done hearing about these two, three people. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, I do like the conversations series because yeah they've done another one before this with john gacy and it's interesting because like, they, they like they're like never before heard tapes and i'm like oh okay and then it's basically the person just being like spouting off crazy stuff and i'm like okay well that was not yeah they're crazy. like these tapes have never been released before yeah. until now yeah and you're like I don't think it matters. Sorry. Hate hate to be that guy, but I don't know if it really matters. I don't know if I need those tapes out of this world, but okay. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't I don't think I need to hear their side. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think it was I guess like if you don't know too much about Jeffrey Dahmer, it's okay. Although right now it's gonna be hard because that new show is out, so I don't know. Maybe feels a little redundant. But... How do you not know about Jeffrey Dahmer? There... I mean, I mean, that, that's all the media keeps talking about. Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. The Night Stalker, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy. It's like in their minds there are only four serial killers in the history of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I, I'd give it like... I've seen the whole thing. I'd give it like... Uh, probably like a 7 out of 10. It's pretty good. Hmm. I give it a six point five, just because I feel frustrated. They keep giving these people. They keep bringing them back. It's. 
No. <laughs> we're, we're just I'm done. not having it. We do not need them back. Honestly. We don't need them back. Yeah. And the people saying they want to meet them, you don't want to meet them. <laughs> yeah, just stop saying that you want to meet them because you don't. Trust us, you don't. End of the story. You don't want to meet them. Yeah. <laughs> you can meet you can meet us. If you see us in public, you can be like, hey, what's up? But don't meet Jeffrey Yammer, please. I promise I will not dismember you. <laughs> <laughs> I th like the couple times somebody's like recognized me, I just get really awkward and I'm just like, okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways. Okay, let's get on to VIF stuff. Uh, there's a lot of VIF movies to cover. And like I gotta say, a lot of them pretty good pretty good uh i feel like just coming from a personal viewpoint on this i feel like the vif light up this year is probably one of the strongest i've ever seen a uh, lot of diverse kind of stories um yeah just been very fun to kind of just see different types of movies that uh i think their programming, I don't know what's changed, but their programming just seems to be highlighting some different stories and different types of movies, and I think they're all the better for it. So, uh, just before we get into the reviews, big props to Fifth for a very strong programming this year. Uh, the first movie that uh, we're going to talk about is called Empire of Light. Uh, this is the new Sam Mendes movie. You probably know him from the... Uh, James Bond movie that he wor worked on, uh, the uh, No Time to No, it wasn't No Time to Die. Uh, it was Skyfall, is what he worked on. Uh, and then he's also worked on American Beauty. Uh, probably the most recent movie that he worked on was 1917. Uh, yeah, he's uh, a very interesting director. Uh, and this movie might be one of his more subdued movies. Um, the movie's about a woman who works at a movie theater in the 80s. And uh, she's like a she's like a manager or supervisor there. And uh, they hire an African-American uh, guy to work at the movie theater. And uh, she slowly starts falling in love with him. And then there's also racism, and then there's also, she's got some schizophrenia or some other mental health issue, and this movie had a lot going on for it. Um, and I think that was its biggest fault. Like, it should have just kind of kept itself contained to a particular plot point and just explored that further, but it didn't really kind of dedicate itself to one storyline or the other. It kind of bobbed and weaved throughout different uh, types of stories. Um, and I did like the acting in this and the plot. It was a bit scattered and, uh, loose, but it, it did kind of work out in the end, I would say. Um, my biggest complaint though, however, would be like this movie kind of pulls the Lord of the Rings Return of the King where they just like make you think the movie's going to end and then it just keeps on going and then you think it's going to end again and then it just keeps on going and you're just like, When's this movie actually over? I, yeah. So, I give this a 7 out of 10. It's, it's, it's relatively good. It's just, yeah, it just really felt like it wasn't as, um, strong of a, uh, 
you know, story as it could have been. So, yeah, there is that. Um, all right. Uh, next up, we have Decision to Leave, uh, which is a uh, new movie. Uh, the director has done some other notable kind of, I don't know, they're from, I think they might be from South Korea, I want to say. Um, but, but they've done a lot of other movies that most people would know. I think uh, it, the director's name is Park Chan-wook. I think he also worked on Old Boy, which uh, a lot of people would probably recognize. Um, oh yeah, he is South Korean. Um, yeah, and Decision to Leave is his latest movie. Uh, it's about uh, Hei Joon, a seasoned detective. Uh, he investigates the suspicious death of a man on a mountaintop, and he soon begins to uh, suspect uh, Seo Rae, uh, which is the, the deceased uh, wife. Uh, so he's investigating her death, or his death, possibly by her. But also, he's kind of getting a little attracted to her. And he's like, I don't know how I feel about this. Because she's technically a murder suspect. Um, this movie uh, was kind of underwhelming for me. It kind of felt like the movie was kind of puttering in places. And didn't really do too much. Um, and then, kind of by the time they uh, started to kind of like get their pace more or less um it just kind of felt a little bit uh a little bit kind of weak in terms of the execution uh the story does kind of at least leave things in an interesting ending i think that's the director's strong suit is when he's making a good solid ending some of them some of his endings are really quite fantastic um so yeah uh, I I will say like this movie's probably worth it for the ending, but I don't know if the lead up to it was really worth it. So I'd give it a six out of ten. Uh, I think it definitely could have been a bit stronger. Okay. Um, and then next up, we do have a lot to review this week. Is uh the Grizzly Truth, and uh, it's about uh a a woman who's a big uh, Vancouver Grizzlies NBA fan. So uh, for a short period of around six to seven years, uh, Vancouver had an NBA team called the Grizzlies. And it was very short-lived. They were all, The team was only around for seven years before it got sold to uh, Memphis and they became the Memphis Grizzlies. And I... I was very surprised when I showed up for the screening for this because obviously, you know, most uh, screenings for VIF or even press screenings are, you know, mostly very quiet affairs. Uh, this was anything but quiet. Uh, there was people showing up in Vancouver Grizzlies uniforms and they were waving flags and screaming and shouting and just everyone was having a great time. And I was like, man, this is like... Not the energy I'm used to in a screening, but it ended up being a whole lot of fun. 
and uh, that was even before the movie started. And the movie starts, and actually, I got to give the the filmmaker credit because for a documentary, she made it very kind of interesting and engaging. And even though I think for a lot of people, they might not be the biggest basketball fans or even the biggest NBA fans or uh, even the biggest Grizzlies fans, she did such a great job of making it interesting and making it engaging for people who had never seen this kind of stuff before. So uh, by the time everybody walked out, everyone was thoroughly impressed including myself. I heard even some people say it might be the best movie at 5th this year, and I'm like, you know what? I don't disagree. I think it's definitely a contender. Um, I, I said in my letterbox review, this is like probably in earnest, probably closer to like an 8 out of 10, but like my experience of watching it with everyone cheering and having such a great time and the fantastic Q&A afterwards, I, I'm, I'm giving this a 9 out of 10. Uh, yeah, it, in reality, it's probably closer to an 8, but still very much worth a watch. Okay, and then uh, next up is Black Ice. Uh, Black Ice is a uh, movie that explores racism and uh, the history of race in hockey. So, sort of, how do uh people of color factor into the game of hockey and obviously for a lot of people they uh aren't the kindest when it comes to these things and i was very shocked when uh i was watching this movie and just you see like the very blatant just racism on display uh like people throwing uh bananas onto the ice and making like uh chimpanzee sounds and stuff and i'm like people are awful like what the fuck uh but it was very good and very effective at like showcasing the side of people who are just yeah, just like awful people really um the movie itself was well done and i think they did a good job of showing the different programs that are available to kind of help uh people of color uh get into the game of hockey and i thought it was fantastic so it ended things on a very positive note um, yeah, I think this is overall pretty good. I do think it was a tad long and it did kind of, in some ways, feel like it was kind of going off into, uh, different places story-wise, but I think in the end it all kind of worked out. Uh, so I'd give this like a pretty solid, I don't know, probably like 7 out of 10 as well. I know I've been like giving a lot of 7s out of 10s this week, but it just... Well, a lot of these movies are, like, above average, but not quite great. So, yeah, 7 out of 10. Okay, and then next up is Triangle of Sadness. This is a new movie uh, that is from a relatively famous director, although I never have seen this director before. Uh, a lot of people were saying, like, oh, this director's great, and I'm like, I, I've never heard of this director before, so uh, maybe to some people it might uh, elicit more of a response. For me, I was like, okay. Uh, and it's sort of like a black comedy satire on influencers and that kind of lifestyle. Um, so these two mar models, Carl and Yeya, uh, are invited to a luxury cruise um, with some other super rich passengers 
Um, and uh, something happens along the way with the crews, and uh, they end up marooned on a desert island, and it turns into this weird and wild movie. Uh, and I, I ended up liking it. It did feel very long in spots. I think like the first two acts drag quite a bit. Then the third act, when they get marooned on the island, it it started to pick up the pace. But yeah, it definitely took a little while to get there. So I give it a, another 7 out of 10. Um, yeah. Okay, let's see. What's next on the VIF docket? We've got Broker. Broker is closing out the VIF Festival, and I think it's tied with The Grizzly Truth for me for being the best movie of VIF. Um, it's about the owner of a laundromat, and he volunteers at a nearby church. Um, they run, like, this illegal uh, business where they steal babies from the church's baby box where people can like, like basically leave their babies that they don't want. Um, and, uh, they sell them, uh, on like this adoption black market. Um, yeah. And then this young girl abandons her baby, but then she discovers that she wants to keep the baby. So she finds them and basically they all go on a road trip to go get the baby back. And, uh, I didn't know what to expect from this movie. I had never, uh, I didn't know too much about it beforehand, but even though the premise itself kind of comes across as very cold, it was actually like such a heartwarming film and I was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, the movie asked a lot of profound questions about like the decisions we make and the connections that we make along the way. And, uh, yeah, it was a very enriching, rewarding, uh, viewing experience and, I don't know. It was actually very beautifully empathetic to the whole human experience. And I was very pleasantly surprised because I read the premise at the synopsis and I was like, nope, but very pleasantly surprised. So I'd give this a nine out of 10. Also quite good. Uh, yeah, go check it out. Um, yeah. Okay. Next up. We've got, all right, uh, let me check my notes, because it's like, there's a lot of movies. Okay, next up is The Sun. The Sun is, uh, I don't know. I was wondering if it was a sequel to Florian Zeller's The Father. Uh, I don't think it is, but maybe someone will correct me on that. But it did kind of, it didn't quite feel like, feel like it was uh even though they did cast anthony hopkins i feel like he was playing a different father than he did in the father so i don't know maybe someone can uh you know uh correct me on that if i'm wrong but it, it did kind of feel like yeah it was it was uh, a little bit uh not quite the same but i'm i'm on a tangent there and uh yeah more or less, the big thing with uh, this movie, The Sun, is it focuses on different relationships between father and son. So you've got Hugh Jackman. He's the son of Anthony Hopkins. And then you've got uh, Zen McGrath, who I've never actually seen before, but he was a fantastic actor in this. He was really quite strong. Uh, I think he's only been in like, two other movies. So, yeah, this was a very strong first viewing of him as an actor for me. 
uh, and he plays Hugh Jackman's son. And the movie starts off, and he's essentially very uh, despondent, doesn't quite uh, relate with his family, and uh, his parents are divorced. He lives with his mom, but he wants to move in with his dad. He says it's going to help with his despondent nature. And uh, so his dad agrees. And uh, yeah, I, I think in a way this movie is messier than the director's other movie, The Father. Uh, however, and I don't want to spoil this, but it comes together in a more interesting and more thought-provoking manner. Uh, though definitely it will be controversial, and I'm definitely curious what people think about this when it comes out. Uh, like The Father, where it employed like cinematic techniques to kind of warp reality and undermine your expectations, they do that here, uh, but with a different kind of slant on it. Whereas The Father was about what is reality, what isn't reality, this is more about who is telling the truth, and what is the truth, what is real what is this tangible thing and what is just something that is being uh you know made up for the sake of like moving this character's motivations i thought it was very interesting and well done um that being said there's a lack of chemistry with leads um i think both hugh jackman and uh the uh all the principal cast like they just lacked a very basic chemistry i was watching hugh jackman like try to be a son or a father to this uh actor and it just came across as awkward and stilted i don't know if hugh jackman's a dad in real life but i was like you don't play a very realistic dad it came across as very like yeah stilted and fake um okay i guess he does have kids so I don't know, he should have experience, I guess, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I was, I just thought, like, yeah, he really lacked a lot of the, the basic kind of, I don't know, fundamental, uh, like, kind of energy that they would have, so, I don't know, that was very weird, but, um, yeah, uh, I think... Uh, by the time you get to the end, it's very traumatizing. Uh, it's very emotional. Uh, I was literally on the edge of my seat. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to definitely upset a lot of people. I've seen some people describe this movie as sadistic uh, just because of how it ends things. I don't know if I fully agree. I think for what it was trying to tell, it was telling a story that most people are not going to be comfortable with and i do think in that sense too this movie is telling a story that will make people uncomfortable and i think that can be good also i don't know if i would recommend this to most people just because it's not going to be a very uplifting movie um so yeah although i can't wait to, until this is a wider release so we can discuss that film's ending a bit more because i i have thoughts on it um, but yeah, for now, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. It, it isn't great, but it also, it was very strong at the end, and I was very pleasantly surprised on where it ended things. Okay. Uh, one last quick review from me, then we've got some pre-recorded ones from Adam. Uh, we've got the Banshees of Insurin. Uh, and yeah, this is basically a... 
uh, new movie from the director of In Bruges, and he brings back most of his principal cast, including Colin Farrell. And, uh, yeah, it's about these friends that go and uh, they've been together for quite a long time, and then something comes along that disrupts their their friendship. Uh, kind of like a black comedy, very uh, comedic and, and funny at times. Uh, I, I liked it, I think. If you compare it to In Bruges, which is the director's other uh, work, uh, also with the same actors, it's not as strong as In Bruges, and I think that's where it failed. Uh, because I think it's natural that if you've seen both, you're going to compare the two. And I don't think the movie holds up when you start comparing the two of them. But uh, it's still pretty solid. It's just, yeah, it's not quite as strong as In Bruges. So I also, unsurprisingly, give it a 7 out of 10. Again, Lies movies, 7 out of 10s. So... Okay, uh, let's jump into the uh, pre-recorded interviews I have from Adam, and then uh, also to uh, there is a two interviews that we have this week. One is with Marie Clements, who is the director of Bones of Crows. That was the opening movie from Biff. We actually reviewed that last week, but we have an interview with the director this week, and then uh, we also have. Um, interviews with uh, Akima Soroya who were from Black Ice and uh, that was a movie that I just recently reviewed on this episode so uh, we're going to jump into those two interviews and then when we come back we're going to do our regular uh, movie club recap stuff like that okay back in a bit All right, so first up we got my review for The Killing of a Journalist. Um, this was a documentary from uh, S Slovakia. Um, um, really, really interesting kind of crime thriller, uh, murder mystery type documentary. Um, I can't really say too much about it without giving away all of what happens, but um, basically there was a very young... Uh, journalist uh, and his fiance were kind of both pretty brutally murdered in their homes um, and then uh, sort of details of who did it was leaked um, um, to the police and a couple other press outlets um, and from there it just kind of unravels and you find out that there's kind of this whole mafia corruption within the government and it just goes higher and higher um, and it's really shocking, um, but a really insightful kind of look at just how how far corporations and politicians are willing to go to preserve their image and reputation. I mean, we're talking about even having pretty much kids, like, murdered, you know. Um, so, and it doesn't just, you know, happen in Slovakia or, or overseas, you know. This kind of stuff happens, you know, everywhere, all around the world, so... Um, yeah, I really like this documentary. Um, if you like murder mysteries, crime thrillers, definitely check it out. Uh, I give it, I'll give it a, I'll give it a eight out of ten. Um, all right, then we have uh, Naola. Uh, Naola, this was the only animated film uh, playing at VIF this year, which. I was a little disappointed because I'm a big supporter of animation um, and usually VIF has more animated 
uh, options, but anyway, this was still pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story. It takes place um, sort of non-chronologically. Uh, it keeps switching back between three generations uh, of the grandmother, the daughter, and then the granddaughter. Um, and the art styles kind of switch between those three too because the grandmother grew up in times of civil war and then there's there's still a bit of the aftermath of that in the time of the daughter and then the time of the granddaughter things are have kind of cooled down but not perfect and you kind of see some of the horror elements of uh, uh, of, the, of those different time periods play out in the art style um, there's also a lot of kind of mythical qualities in this too where like some of the uh you know bad guys if you will they'll be represented as like these kind of monsters um but uh really empowering story it kind of shows how sort of like the sins of your father if you will kind of carry over to the next generation um Okay, and we're recording. Sounds good. Okay, we're recording. Okay. Hey, everybody, it's Curtis from the Three Angry Nerds podcast. Uh, coming with, with two of you from VIF, getting ready for the big uh, festival here. And I'm here with Soraya and Akeem. Uh, you two worked on uh, a movie that's about to come out, Black Ice. Title right? No. Yeah. <laughs> I got that wrong. Okay, perfect. Uh, I watched the film this morning. It was fantastic, uh, and what I loved about it too is that you know, with a good documentary, it highlights something that you're not aware of. You know, shows you a different side of things that you maybe weren't too aware of. And for me, like just seeing all the blatant uh, racism and hockey, it was just like deplorable. Actually, I was like watching this stuff, and I'm like, I can't believe that people do stuff like this. Like it was just incredible. Um, 
So I guess my first question here is, is when tackling racism and other intense and sensitive material, it's obviously very eye-opening for many people. And I'm wondering like how this issue maybe caught your interest and what maybe got the wheels turning to turn this into a film. I mean, I'll, I'll start out. I mean, I think just our, our stories and our experiences through our whole careers. Um, and I mean, we see in the film to this day. Um, so obviously we want to tell those truths and tell those stories um, and make people aware of what we've experienced in the game um, as we see it continuing to happen. Um, it's just a, it's a systemic uh, cycle and I think that it's time for it to, to stop and it's time for it to end. And I mean, yeah. we're highlighting histories that haven't been told um, and haven't been told correctly. So in, in that sense, I think that we're going to have really eye-opening experience, mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, be able to tell our truth and our story. 100%. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what Soroya said is, is, is spot on. Um, I, I was, was introduced to Vinay and uh, Hubert about a year and a half ago. Um, and them coming to me and talking about telling the story was something that I didn't really believe that we might be able to do. Um, even though it was, I would say, 2021 at that time, it was still uh, some su sensitive subject to talk about, especially in the game of hockey. Mm -hmm. um, obviously kind of with everything that I was going through at the time and starting the HDA um, it was a it was something that we were kind of still on on a mountain yelling by ourselves but weren't really getting that support mm -hmm. um, behind the whole movement and obviously um, myself and obviously Soroy and everyone else that's in the movie we wanted to use this platform to speak on issues that we haven't really been able to speak about in the game of hockey just because how predominantly white the game is um, so obviously I was super excited um, to jump on board um, to tell the story. I, I didn't always think that it, 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 it would happen. Mm -hmm. um, I thought the idea was so good, but um, obviously seeing that come to fruition has been super special. Um, I actually got the book from the Fosty brothers um, oh, wow. in 2007 um, in my draft year. Um, so I've known the story for a long time, um, but it's, it, it's crazy to think that um, what I would almost call a religion in Canada, the sport of hockey, and no one really knows the history. Yeah. Um, of what's really kind of transpired behind the scenes and how we had a lot to do with the beginnings of, of the game. So to be able to kind of all come together um, and tell this story has been super eye-opening, I think, for a lot of people, but um, em empowering for us. And now the support we're seeing behind the film is just truly incredible. So we hope we can kind of continue pushing the momentum forward and um, getting as many eyes and ears on this film as possible. Yeah, it's about changing the narrative, right? And, you know... Like I said, any great documentary is going to do that. And I think this uh, film definitely has more than enough capacity to do that. Um, my next question is, is like, what was the most shocking thing you learned while researching for this film? Um, I mean, like I said, uh, this kind of goes back to my, my uh, initial answer. I wouldn't really say I was shocked about anything just because I've known the story for right. going on 15 years now. Um, but to answer that for me personally, um, I think uh, obviously listening to everyone's stories, you kind of know high level of what other players like Soroya and, and Matt and, and, and Anthony and Sarah and all, all these um, athletes have gone through. But um, to hear it in detail of like them putting themselves in the moment of while it was happening and how they felt. Um, I, there was two things that really stood out to me. Number one was... Um, Soroya is saying that she almost had to put her blackness aside to be able to fit into um, the dressing room and, and, and the culture of the game 
um, that's obviously something that I can relate to as well. Yeah. Um, but just hearing those words come out um, was super impactful and powerful to me. And then number two was Sarah um, saying that almost she was almost afraid when I kind of came out with my story just because she knew she would be getting asked the questions too of being a black woman, which is obviously even that much harder than, than, than being a man. And in hockey, being asked those questions about race and she wasn't sure that she was ready to answer those questions. But at the same time, it was empowering to her um, for someone else to be able to speak on these issues. So I never knew that other people were feeling that way. Yeah. Um, obviously, I was doing something that I thought was right for the game of hockey, but you never really, like, to be honest, like, never even crossed my mind, like, what, is, what do other black players think about what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, so just to hear that was, um, it was, it was inspiring for me for sure. Yeah, I think the surprising part for me, I mean, I obviously knew the history and, and whatnot just um, for some some years now, but um, I was just surprised to see how our black individuals have continued to push in the game, but are continued to not be highlighted. Um, and there's so many grassroots programs out today that so many people aren't aware of. Yeah. Um, and so many black individuals that are involved in the game, but just simply aren't highlighted. And I think that that's something that um, we see in the film. We see how many programs there are. We see how many people are wanting to help. Um, and we see the help being needed on our end. Um, yeah. We need that support. And um, I think for, for myself, I was just surprised at, at how courageous everybody was um, yeah. and still pushing the game forward and um, still wanting to be involved and, and, uh, and be in those grassroots. Yeah. Exactly. And that was something that I liked about the film, too, is that it did show those grassroots programs. It did show that there is still, uh, you know, there is a bit of a momentum there, right? Um, and I guess that kind of uh, leans a little bit into, actually, my next question is that, like, you know, despite showing a lot of the deplorable behavior, I mean, there was a good message of positivity there when you see you know, the programs that are in place and the people, you know, various uh, ethnic backgrounds who are now getting into hockey, like, how important was it to showcase that positive message amongst everything else that's happening? Yeah, I mean, for, for myself, we, we have so many uh, initiatives going on through Black Girl Hockey Club and Soroy Strong, and I think it's, it's just encouraging to see my girls having a community yeah. and um, Black individuals having a place that they can go to, and they're not just the only Black player on their team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, our, some of our girls were highlighted through Soroy Strong, and um, Jem mentions her hair in the film, yeah. and that's something that often gets mentioned to her in the dressing room or made fun of on the ice. And for her to be able to say that and be that piece of empowerment in the film for girls, she's 12. So in that sense, she's going to empower girls from here on out. And I think that that's really what we need to do. Um, and that's why we needed to tell our stories um, and, and really speak up and tell our truths and go through what we needed to go through. But at the same time, we want to change that for the next generation. Exactly. Again, it's about changing the narrative. And I think the film did such a great job of showing how it's been and how it currently is, but also how we are making some progress along the way there. Um, I guess my final question is, is what do you hope is everyone's big takeaway from this movie? Like, people get out from seeing this movie at fifth. what do you hope their big takeaway, their big thought that they leave with is? Um, uh, I think for me it's kind of two, two things. I think number one is, um, I think it should be an educational experience. I think like obviously just most people that I even talk to that watch the um, watch the screening at TIFF um, were like, whoa, I didn't know that, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, just to dive so deep into the history and just to explain the plight of um, 
people of color in the game, I think, is, is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that some of the um, experiences really punch people in the face, for lack of a better uh, lack of a better term, where they're like, "Well, I didn't really realize how yeah. uh, how deeply rooted racism was, and just some of the um, things that these players go through um, on a day to day, week by week, year by year basis." Um, but I think that the second part also is, I think it's more important for people to know that we're actually do, doing something about it. Um, it's one thing to, to, to tell people that there's all these things that are wrong with the game of hockey, but I still think it's, obviously we need some help doing it, but I still think it's on us to be able to say, hey, we're, we have these programs that are backing us and, and, and trying to create a brighter future for the next generation. So I think a lot of these grassroots programs that you see um, in, the, in the film are super important to show that um, we are standing behind what we're saying, mm-hmm. um, and we're trying to use our experiences to obviously, like I said, pave a, a brighter future for the next generation. So, um, those would be my two things that I hope people can take away and, and, like I said, look to more positivity in the game going forward. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, I would agree with Akeem on that first point. Um, is just, I mean, for for myself, is is to dive into those grassroots programs. Um, donate and make a difference, but also I hope people take away conversation starters from the film. Um, get uncomfortable in those conversations. Uh, feel co- confident calling people out in the arena um, when you see these these things happening. Um, and I hope people are taking it upon themselves to hold others accountable and uh, continue to educate themselves, obviously, yeah. um, but obviously get uncomfortable in their conversations. Yeah, start kind of putting the pressure on these people to let them know like that kind of behavior is not acceptable at all, which is uh, totally uh, something that I kind of walked away with the film. Like, man, like I've never seen behavior like that at a hockey game, you know, fortunately, I guess. But uh, you know, if I ever do, like, I do feel better equipped now if I do something like that to see, but, like, hey, that's that's not acceptable. Like, you can't be doing that. So, awesome. Well, the movie uh, opens up at Biff and uh, definitely would recommend people buy tickets. I think there are still quite some available, so people can definitely check that out. And, uh, People can check showtimes for when the movie hits a wider release because uh, definitely it's a film that people should be watching and getting, uh, you know, like like you say, education and uh, take away from it in terms of how to best sort of tackle this issue and be more progressive more moving forward. All right. Well, that's it for the recording. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I know you'll have a very busy day, I'm sure. So.
Hello, everybody. My name is Curtis. I'm the host of the Three Angry Nerds podcast, although not quite angry today. Woke up on the right side of the bed. Uh, I'm here with Marie Clements. Uh, Marie, you directed uh, a movie that uh, has played at a few festivals already, but is uh, the opening night film of the Vancouver International Film Festival, Bones of Crows. Uh, I've had a chance to see the movie. It's a very powerful film, very uh, monumentous in, tr- in showing just a lot of, I guess, the, the side to the residential schools that maybe some people might not be fully aware of. Uh, a very powerful film, but uh, we're here to discuss that film today. How are you today, though, before we get uh, deep into the questions here? Oh, I'm good. Yeah. Waking up, um, woke up early. And so, uh, yeah, getting ready for our opening tonight. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I kind of want to touch on the story of this movie because it really is an important one. And I think it, it, it's interesting that uh, they chose this movie as the opening night film for the Vancouver International Film Festival because I think the festival kind of focuses on important stories and you know, ways that we can tell different stories that uh, people might not be too aware of. And oftentimes this film showcases the raw intensity and the cruelty that occurred in the residential schools. And I'm just curious, uh, from your perspective at least, how important was it for you to uh, showcase that and show people, you know, maybe a more realistic side to what's happened than they might have seen before? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's just a, such a huge honor uh, to be opening VIF and... Uh, just wanted to thank them for, you know, supporting Canadian filmmakers. Um, but I, I obviously Bones of Crow is, you know, is a huge passion project for everyone that worked on it. And um, it was a chance to uh, look at the residential school experience uh, through multi-generations and kind of look at how that affects um, not only um, one character, but uh, everyone that knows her and her family. And I, I think this is how many of us have experienced uh, residential school, um, either firsthand, you know, our, our mothers and aunties and uncles, but um, also the generations that came after. So it was um, a unique opportunity to be able to tell the story in a way that I hope resonated uh, with how that experience really felt and really, really is still, uh, you know, still playing out. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I guess I'm kind of curious, like when you were writing the film, how did you go about coming up with the story? Like, were you, you know, were you pulling from other people's experiences and kind of trying to create an amalgam story or does this come from one person's story? I'm just kind of curious about that. Well, originally, uh, Bones of Crows started as a four part miniseries that became a five part miniseries. Uh, that became a feature. <laughs> so um, I had a huge canvas to play with. And um, I, I, to be honest, I really looked at um, my mother's experience and my aunties and uncles experience in residential school. Mm-hmm. And then of course, just, you know, our kind of shared history of it and our shared knowing of it. Um, so that really became a touchstone for uh, the main character, but also uh, some of those experiences uh, within the narrative. Right, right. And I guess I'm curious too, like how was your uh, filming experience? Because there's a ton of different locales in this and this movie was just visually very spectacular in that sense. Uh, you know, how did you go about finding your different locations and how did that filming experience go for you? Um, it, as you 
could imagine. <laughs> it was incredibly intense. Um, we shot for 57 days and we mm. shot in over, you know, five different territories in probably three or four seasons. So um, it was very rigorous and um, uh, we had a really talented um, uh, crew, creative crew and team. So, you know, that made it um, uh, great uh, for a filmmaker, but I think just the scope of it, you know, and we were covering, you know, decades, you know, probably nine decades. So, you know, we're shooting period, we're shooting in rural um, landscapes. Uh, were you know really lent heavily on the different territories we were in and the support from communities um so i i think we were very lucky and you know the weather seemed to be our friend which is kind of remarkable mm -hmm. uh, so we were we were really blessed in so many ways but it, it was a very challenging shoot and um you know we had i think over 180 cast members and probably 130 different sets mm. uh, in three different languages so yeah there was there was a lot uh a lot going on yeah i can imagine so especially when you're doing a lot of outdoor shoots the weather is uh almost a part of the uh film shoot uh, to a certain degree there um, yeah absolutely it's it, it can be moody so yeah so yeah. but uh, we were very lucky because um you know obviously floods and fires and all the things that are happening uh in in bc uh mm -hmm. but we managed to kind of skirt around it so there you go that's incredible. I'm also curious too, like when I was watching this film, it had such an impressive cast and it was a lot of actors that uh, I guess were, you know, very uh, famous Canadian actors, but you kind of see them maybe pop up in different projects, but to get them all in this project must've been great. Like, was it very hard for you to get the cast that you wanted or maybe were there a few surprises during the audition process? Like how did that process go for you? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a very huge undertaking. Um, you know, we cast uh, across Canada and the US um, and also in communities. So it was kind of multi-layered uh, outreach. But I mean, the biggest thing that I that I was really, uh, you know, that came to me is that we have so many amazing actors in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, and so I got to see, you know, got to see that firsthand again. Um, and also, you know, it, it really showcases, you know, five generations of indigenous talent in this country. Yeah. Um, and also, as you were saying, you know, some of our leading stars. Um, and I think it was really, um, humbling to see non-Indigenous actors uh, come out for the roles and and want to tell the story with us and stand with us to, you know, bring their talent to be able to do that. Right. Yeah, and I guess, like, my final question is, is, you know, this is a very uh, heavy film in a lot of ways, but I guess, like, from your perspective, what do you hope is most people's big takeaway from this movie after watching it? Well, I, I think there's still people out there that probably don't um, believe uh, the effect of residential schools uh, had on our, uh, you know, in our history and uh, our shared history. So I think part of it was, you know, really hoping that people would be able to connect um, with Aline, the main character, um, and go with her on this journey uh, that really looks at, you know, uh, a woman starting out in her 20s and uh, we go back to her childhood but we also go you know all the way um until she's 86 years old so i think it's a unique you know a journey to be able to follow someone's life and also experience what they've experienced mm -hmm. uh and i think yeah you know hopefully 
the right thing is that uh, if we feel something, then, you know, change is possible. Exactly. So, yeah, the opening night film, uh, and that's tonight, I believe. So, yeah, definitely, if you can, go get tickets uh, by the time you listen to this. It, uh, there still might be some time to grab some tickets, and uh, I think there might be a few showings throughout Fifth for this, so people can definitely uh, keep an eye out for show times, and uh, definitely I would recommend that people watch this film. I, I have to be completely honest. I was, uh, I think, under... Uh, under appreciating the effect it would have on me until after I had stepped out and I go, Oh my gosh, this movie is so important. I think everybody should watch it. Uh, if anything, just to see that perspective and see what happened. And, you know, if anything, just to understand from someone else's eyes, how it occurred and not just your own. So definitely would recommend people check this film out. Well, uh, Marie, thank you so much for your time and, uh, you know, best of luck on the fifth festival and, uh, the rest to come. Oh, thank you so much, Curtis. Take Have care. A, you too. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank Okay, we're back. That was a big dump of pre-recorded content. For that, I sincerely apologize if that was not your thing. If you liked it, I sincerely apologize for you loving it so much. No, just kidding. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that joke. Allergy. Um, Katie, did you watch She-Hulk this week at all? I did. What did you think about it? I thought it was just like a... Like, obviously, we knew that the guy was suspicious. Yes. Like, of course he was. I just thought, like, the way she was overthinking everything and, like, it started to get a little annoying. But then, like, it was also, like, a very wholesome episode where they were just like, we accept you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And, like, that is something that ever since she became She-Hulk, she has always been really um insecure about like people just liking she hulk and not her yeah and so like i guess this is like a good stepping stone for her to start like accepting herself as both she hulk and jen and not just like one or the other mm -hmm. yeah i um 
Yeah, I I mostly liked this episode. I did feel I do have this like lingering like feeling like I don't know what the show is working towards, and I mm. don't know if they're gonna give us hard answers yet. But like I don't know, we're getting close to, like the end of the season, and like I don't feel like. Do you think there's... they're gonna keep dragging it on just so they can make like a season two? Uh yeah. I mean they'll they'll probably make a season two. I I don't doubt that but i just like i feel like there's there's got to be like some kind of like arc that ends the season and i i don't know i would love if it was like hey this is uh the guy this is really who the person was that's been behind uh jen getting her blood taken away like i feel like that's something that we're building up towards but yeah I also time. just feel like the reveal will be largely underwhelming, though. Yeah, I do feel like I'm at that point now, too, where I'm like, based on like what we're seeing of the show so far, I don't expect it's going to be interesting. In fact, it could probably be the opposite. I'm probably going to be fairly not interested. Um, I don't know. I just... I was watching this, and then I'm like, okay, they're furthering the plot. That's cool. But also, I... I really hope it's worth it because they've been really slow to like give out information for that one and i don't know it just hasn't been a very rewarding show to watch like whereas i've been watching the new uh, game of thrones spinoff series and that's great like they've been very uh quick to like dole out stuff and keep it rewarding uh, and keep it going at a good pace she hulk and uh, we'll talk about uh, lord of the rings later but like both kind of are a lot slower giving payoffs to things and i think it just kind of makes it more of a frustrating viewing experience because you're like mm. what are what are we building towards like what's this what's the big arc here um so yeah that was probably the most frustrating part although i did get i did enjoy this episode if anything just for like the minor villains that they included like there was some, yeah that was fun yeah and it's like these are random characters you would probably honestly never see anywhere else but like there was Mamball, El Aguila, uh, Porcupine, and Saracen. Like, they're great. And uh, I don't know if we're going to see them again. Don't think it really matters. But it was great to get, like, some D-level villains. Like, just people who are just honestly bottom-of-the-barrel villains. It was great. Uh, it was fun to see. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, the the reveal that the, the guy was that she was hooking up with was not great. I don't know. The show really seems to be punishing Jen in her love life. And I don't know what's up with that, but it doesn't seem very fair to have her constantly just like have a shitty love. Life. <laughs> like <laughs> either people are like, we don't want you as Jen. We want you as she Hulk or people are trying to steal her blood. And I'm like, this seems awful either way. Um, we already I knew this guy was too good to be true. Right. I do have a feeling they're going to kind of show that these guys are a part of that group that mugged her. Mm. I, like, I don't know. Definitely the guy from today, I could see him being like a part of that group. Because there was a couple of them that were covered in, in ski masks. So, could be him. Could also be the other guy too, the guy that's really creepy. Like, he could be a part of that crew too. So, mm. Yeah. Just things i've been thinking about while i watch the show um yeah what else um 
let's see. We've also got, uh, yeah, the return of Blonsky, which I think a lot of people thought we were going to have. I think some people ha are still expecting him to be a villain, and I don't think he's the villain. I think, like, they're yeah, committing to Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, because if he was up there and had her up there, he would have tried something a bit more. But, like, he was very supportive and very friendly. So Yeah. yeah. He was just like, I'm going to be here if you need me. But yeah. you continue with your phone obsession. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was great. Um, yeah. So what would you give this episode a score of? I'm sitting at like a, a seven. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd go a, a bit higher. I, I, would, I would say this is an eight. This is like stronger for me than some of the other episodes. Uh, again, still a little unfocused. Like, what are we building towards? What's the big... What's the big thing we're working towards here? I kind of want a little bit more answers. Hopefully we get some more. And also, do like, apparently Daredevil's supposed to show up at some point in the show. And I'm like, we're near the end of the show and still no Daredevil. And not like I needed Daredevil, but since they promised him, I keep thinking, like, is this the episode we're going to get Daredevil? But we'll see. But okay. why... I forgot where I was going with this, but, like, why do we... keep having these cameos from people like because it's Marvel. Why? you gotta have cameos <laughs> if you have cameos how do we know this takes place in the marvel universe okay i guess so i oh i guess they used to use like stanley yeah 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 I think Marvel kind of always likes to throw in those cameos just to kind of, like, show that the world is all interconnected. Although, like, Moon Knight didn't have any cameos. It just was, like, doing its own thing and people still liked it. Like, you don't... I, in my opinion, I don't think you need to do it as aggressively as Marvel does it. But at the same time, too, it's hard to, to deny that the fans love it. Don't love it. Because, like, every time you throw in those characters, everyone loses their shit. And then they're like, oh, my I mean, gosh. I, just, I, I, I liked seeing Wong. Like, I'm not gonna yeah. lie. Yeah. <laughs> if Doctor Strange showed up, you'd probably go crazy. Be like, oh <laughs> Doctor Strange and my She-Hulk. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, next up is House of the Dragon, which is slowly but surely moving along. And I love the show. It's great. It's been really rewarding to watch just because uh, I I do wonder with the show how long it's going to go on for. I think I saw in an interview they said three or four seasons, but that makes sense because they've been really moving along plot-wise with the show. And they've now finally kind of like introduced the kids in a significant way. So uh, both Rihanna or Renera, sorry, and... Um, um, the other girl played by Olivia Cook. like we get to see their kids and like their kids play a major part of the story so I thought it was great that they brought them brought them uh, I mean a lot of them were introduced earlier but now we got to see them like as a little bit more I guess uh, interesting kids I guess uh, like they were actually played by adult act well not adult actors but like teenage actors and stuff so there was a bit more to them a bit more meat to their roles um yeah uh this episode is also frustrating in the sense that i've read the books and i know where the story goes 
So when we get to certain plot points, I'm just like hitting my head against the table because I'm like, what are you doing, Rhaenyra? This is just awful. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, th this also was an episode that very much was like, let's get rid of everybody's husband or wife because we can't have them in the way of our story. And it felt very sad and tragic. Uh, less so for Damon's wife, who, honestly, I was like, eh. Uh, but Rhaenyra, like, she had this fake marriage, but also she was still with her lover on the side. They just kept it on the DL. And then, uh, yeah, he got burnt alive, and I felt very sad. Because I'm like, well, now she's got no one. So, it was very sad. Uh, I'll give this episode a 8 out of 10. Very solid. Uh, definitely want to see more with the new cast that they've been bringing on. And then finally for a recap, we got Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. And finally, we've been getting some progress on the episodes. I felt like it took quite a long time for us to get to an interesting place story-wise. Um, and yeah, it uh, finally got to an interesting place. There was a bit more payoff. We kind of knew that we were going to get um, some more kind of like action, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely uh, up the ante. Um, yeah, I, I think the kind of like the different storylines. Um, yeah. They kind of all came together, and we got to have this really epic story. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but, like, man, it was so great to see, like, all the great action in this. And, uh, yeah, they kind of pull an Empire Strikes Back, and they kind of put the characters in a very precarious position. Now you're like, what's going to happen next? Uh, I'd give this episode a 9 out of 10. It's probably the strongest episode of Lord of the Rings we've had so far, but mostly because it was a lot of payoffs, which I've been waiting forever for. So, there's that. Okay, let's uh, talk about our movie club this week, Freaky. Did you manage to watch Freaky? No, unfortunately. Sorry. That's okay. You know what? We're, we can just cut this episode short because it's been a long episode. I think I'm ready for a nap. But Freaky, in short, hilarious, spooky, all sorts of fun. Uh, nine out of ten. If you did like, if you did watch Freaky and you want to know what I thought of it, um, let's see whose movie club is it next. I don't know if it's what, but uh, hmm. okay. Well. Uh, let's see. The next movie club. We'll do something spoopy. You know what? Uh, give me like half a second, listeners. We'll find something here to watch. Let's, uh, you know what? They actually just put the Friday the 13th on, uh, Paramount Plus. So let's watch arguably one of the better ones. 
uh, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. We'll watch that next week. That's, a, that's probably the best Friday the 13th, and also the silliest. Or one of the silliest. There's a few silly ones, but that one's one of the silliest. And that's on Paramount Plus. So, okay. With that said, we'll see you all next time. Bye for now.